Welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Courtney Parr adopted her dog Rondo from the Humane Society nine years ago, and it has truly been one of those who saved who situations. Courtney had dealt with anxiety and depression for quite some time, and when Rondo was about four years old, she went through one of the darkest periods of her life, essentially feeling that she had nothing to live for. But Rhonda was there for her, providing her not only with the purest, most unconditional love, but also reminding her that she couldn't leave this world and leave him behind, as no one would be there to take care of him, and he would surely be put down. Since then, Rondo has inspired Courtney to live a brighter life, and has also inspired her to advocate for those dogs, and humans too, who have somehow been labeled as difficult, dangerous, or simply other. Through her relationship with Rondo, Courtney's life is now dedicated to ensure that all humans and dogs are heard, no matter what. Courtney, welcome to Dog Save the People. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today. And where are we talking to you from? I am currently in Richmond, Virginia. Okay, cool. I was just down in Virginia this weekend in Smithfield, Virginia. I started working with an organization called Dogs Deserve Better, and I'm really loving Virginia. The people down there are so friendly. It's incredible. Yes. it's uh, I When I first moved here, I remember thinking the same thing of because I, I originally am from Massachusetts, and um, Virginia is technically the South, and I learned that really quickly when I moved here. <laughs> yes. I mean, the place that I'm working down there, it's a sanctuary rehabilitation center. They have dogs that are living there, and the caretakers will say to them, no, ma'am. And yes, sir, I love it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, my God. It makes me laugh so hard. Everywhere I go, whether it's the tractor supply or a hotel, restaurant, people are so charming. Mm-hmm. What brought you down to Richmond? Moved down here for work. Um, so I joined a medical practice out here. So that's what originally brought me down here. And how long have you been down there for? Almost five years now. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. So let's begin. I really wanted to hear about your story. And specifically, I wanted to hear about your dog, Rondo. Can you tell me where you met Rondo? So I met him. Well, I first met him. um, I was just sort of perusing through um, the Humane Society website. I was in Arizona at the time. So he was in Phoenix. And um, I was just browsing, just seeing, you know, potentially what dogs... um, wanted to adopt a dog at that time, but I wasn't really sure um, what. And I actually thought, I really thought that I wanted a boxer at the time. And so I was looking for at rescues for a boxer. And then I saw Rondo's picture and I just was instantly drawn to him. He just, he was adorable. And I just felt like I need to meet that dog. And so um, it was late that night. And so the next morning I went and um, he was there at the Humane Society and I met him and I said, I want him. He's mine. I need to take him home. That's amazing. And have you had dogs before? So growing up as a child, we did have a family dog, but I never, I didn't have one as, as an adult, like for my own, I've always been a cat person. And I mean, I've loved animals in general, but I had two cats and always have been a cat person and was like, well, I'm not sure about, about a dog, but I very quickly became a dog person. (laughs) Yes. So how old was Rondo when you rescued him? He was six weeks. Oh, wow. So how big was Mm -hmm. he? Oh, he was so tiny. He um, was smaller than my cat. It's so funny to look at pictures like now because he's now, you know, an 80 pound dog um, to where he was smaller than my cat at the time. But he was about like I could fit him in my backpack. (laughs) Oh, I love it. And so when you brought him home, you have two cats now. Did you have them then? Mm hmm. 
I had two cats then. Yes. Mm -hmm. Did they kind of parent him? They did. It's really funny. So at first they were like, um, what is this? We're not sure about this. And immediately I felt like, oh no, am I upsetting the cats? But I just gave it a little bit of time. And it was really funny. My cat would pat him on the head or like hit him on the head if he was doing something they were playing. And even to this day, Rondo will like crouch down like a cat, kind of wag his tail, like shake his shake his bum a little, you know, like a cat does if, it, if they're hunting. And he just is very, like he just has cat-like behavior still. And I just, I, I always wonder if it's from being parented by, by a cat when he was younger. But yeah, my cats used to take his crate. They really showed him who was boss for a long time until tables turned when Rondo got a lot bigger. <laughs> and what kind of dog is Rondo? So um, it's interesting. When I got him from the Humane Society, he, he, they said he was a lab mix. But I got him D- the DNA test that I did on him. Um, it says that he's a mainly Rottweiler and Weimaraner mix. Okay, yeah, I can see that in his photo. And according to the DNA test, there's actually no lab in him. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> so you got him when you were living in Phoenix. Yes. And then where did you go from there? Actually, all over. So um, I was in school. I was in um, naturopathic medical school at the time when I got Rondo, and I was in a relationship that ended. And so when that ended, I ended up moving back home to Massachusetts for just a little bit. So Rondo and my cats drove cross country. And so we went through several states um, and then we were in Massachusetts for about a year and then moved to California. So we drove back across country out to California and were there for um, a little over a year and before moving to Virginia. So we drove, Rondo and I have driven cross country three times. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, it says here that you and Rondo have been to 34 states. Is that through these travels? Um, that's mostly through the travel. So I took a different route every time to try to hit new states and go like hiking and camping in some different states. And then also we've gone up and down just the East Coast with my family being in Massachusetts. Rondo travels with me quite a bit. And then just to hit some more states, we've gone to like Vermont and New Hampshire and up a little bit more. So he's hiked in quite a few states. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Does he like traveling? He does. He's when he was when I first um, adopted him, he got car sick. He was very sick in the car. Um, and that was problematic. (laughs) So, um, but he luckily outgrew that and he is fantastic in the car. So I'm very lucky. (laughs) I know it's hard to tell, but does he have a favorite location that you can think of? You know, I try to think of that. I think he, he actually does love Massachusetts. And I think in part, uh, my mom is there and my siblings and he just really loves them. And so he think he likes the attention there, but he feels really comfortable there. And he also um, loved Arizona. Uh, he's just seen the happiest out there. So I will say, it's funny that you asked that because I tell people and they're like, he doesn't know, but it's true. I don't think he loved California and he doesn't really love Virginia, um, but like he doesn't seem as happy and in, in his element when we're out, <laughs> out and about. <laughs> wow. What do you think it was about Arizona? Um, I'm not sure. Part of me wonders if like that's where he was born and that and he just like there's some sort of energetic tie there. Um, he did have a brother and when he was adopted, um, he was in a crate with someone who at the time I didn't think was his brother because it was a very like gray, they, that Weimariner, traditional Weimariner color. And I was like, there's no way they're related. But now I recognize that that's probably why. And I'm wondering if like he just had some kind of tie to his like actual sibling there. I'm not sure, but um, he really just enjoyed he likes the heat. He does not like the cold. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, there was a time you had Rondo for about nine years and somewhere down the road, and, and you can speak to this, you started dealing with anxiety and depression. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So um, I've 
really as far back as I can remember, I've always struggled with a little bit of, of anxiety or a lot of anxiety, but I didn't quite know what it was. And then as I'd mentioned, I was in school, it was pretty stressful. And then I was in a long-term relationship that ended and I felt very lost. And that for me was, I think, just this turning point of I felt really alone at the time. At I was my very early 20s and I felt like, oh no, life, like my my partners, we're not together anymore. What's the point of life? Like I just, I, I felt like my life was kind of over in that sense. And I didn't really have any sense of purpose really, I felt like at that point. And um, I just went into a really dark space. And um, through that whole time, Rhonda was there and reminding me really every day, one of that there is love all around me all of the time. Um, he was definitely picking up on my energy. And when I was in bed all day, um, really not wanting to get up, I don't know if he really sensed it. I, I do think so. Or he was just like, listen, lady, I'm bored. We need to go outside. You need to get up. Um, but he just really kept me um, motivated to really, I mean, keep living um, just to see that there's somebody else there who loves me, who I love, who like gave me a purpose in that moment to really be alive. I just felt like I connected with him so much deeper in that period where everything felt very unstable. And I felt like I couldn't really count on anything. I knew that I could really count on him to be there and um, to kind of give me the motivation to, I knew that he needed to go out. I knew that he needed to eat. He needed to go for a walk. And so I was able to kind of care for him like externally, but really it was, he was kind of caring for me and I was caring for myself in that moment also. Yeah. I know that our pets and our children, but really for me, my pets, because I don't have children, when I've been dealing with grief and anxiety, they really do sense it. But also we have to show up for them because mm -hmm. they are in so many ways helpless. We have to be there for them. Yes. It gets us out of our own head. It gets us out of the house also. So this was a very dark time for you. Mm -hmm. Was this to the point of not being sure you wanted to keep living? Yeah, it, it was. So that was, it had been something that I was struggling with on and off with thoughts of death and suicidal ideation. And um, that particular time was, was a very low time where I did just feel, I didn't really understand the point of living. It wasn't so much that I didn't want to be alive, but I just felt like, what's the point? I don't want to be living like this anymore. So it was quite suicidal at that time. And again, this like what you were saying that, seeing Rondo there, knowing that like I had to care for him, that he was reliant on me really that, um, that truly did keep me alive in that moment in the sense of, I just knew what if I weren't here, he would have nobody, he would be on his own and he would have no one to care for him. People wouldn't even know like that he was on his own. Like it just gave me this sense of there's no way that I could do that to him. I just, you know, cared for him and loved him so much that I couldn't do that. And that really got me through such a dark period of time. That's amazing. And was it a slow progressive evolution of you finding your mojo again, your light, or was it you just putting your foot one in front of the other? Yeah. So I think it was that, and it still continues to be that to this day of just sort of, yes, one foot in front of the other, like taking it really just one day at a time. That's what I was trying to do at that time. One, one moment, one day at a time. However, as as my relationship with Wando grew and Wando got a little bit older, um, that sort of evolved where I saw kind of characteristics of myself within, within Wando. And I saw the way that mental health and depression, suicidal ideation was treated in like society and saw that really mirrored in Rondo also. And so that gave me a lot of motivation and really a sense of purpose, not only 
toward Rondo and keeping him safe and alive and cared for, but also the sense of purpose of just recognizing like stigma that's associated with mental illness and also seeing stigma um, associated with dogs and, and animals in general, and particularly with, with Rondo um, in his life. I saw a lot of prejudgment of him in ways that I didn't feel were really accurate. Rondo's a really, really large dog and um, he's predominantly black. So he has some brown markings, like we said, the Rottweiler, but he's a large black dog and he's intimidating. He has a very deep, like deep growl and bark. And when he was about two or so, he was really playful. He used to bring him to the dog park all of the time. But around two years old, um, one day there were some woman was giving her dog some treats and Rondo kind of got really aggressive when he saw the food. And that was the first time I had seen um, like any of that behavior from him. So I was like, oh, that's odd. And I was more careful the next time, but I brought him back again. And I just started to, to notice like something had turned for some reason where he just started to get more aggressive toward dogs in particular. So I stopped bringing him to the dog park. I started to just be more careful about where I was walking him. And then the same thing around um, like very young children, you know, kids can get really excited if they see a dog or something like that and want to run up to them. And if there was a loud noise or sudden movement, Rhonda would really get spooked and start like, growling or barking and um, almost like lunging if you were on a leash toward them, which most dogs do that. However, if it's a small dog or, you know, a friendlier looking dog, people don't really care, don't notice about it or don't care about it. Um, yet when it's a larger, more intimidating dog, people label as he's mean, he's scary, he's a bad dog, stay away from him. And I started hearing that just more and more often around, around Rondo of people like really giving me dirty looks. I had a couple of people, I mean, strangers just saying things like, um, I'm irresponsible for having a dog like that, that I should be you know, ashamed of myself taking him out in public. And um, I started to get a little bit nervous actually. And I, so I, if I were going into a place like walking where there would be people like a crowded area, I started to put a muzzle on Rondo just, just to be safe. And he had never bitten anybody, but I just, I was so nervous by what people were saying. And I remember one time somebody said, like, oh, that is so mean for the dog. You're a terrible owner or you're a horrible owner or something like that. And I, it, obvious, it like just broke me inside because I knew how much I loved him and that I was trying to care for him. And this stranger was telling me I was a terrible owner and it was mean for the dog. But again, just seeing like, they had no idea about why that muzzle was on him. It was for his own safety. It wasn't bothering him. It didn't hurt him. And they just jumped to these conclusions about me as a you know caretaker and Rondo as a dog just again and again um, without ever getting to know him, without really understanding like, once he knows you for five minutes, he literally will lick you to death if, if you let him. Like He is so playful. He's one of the happiest dogs. And yet anywhere I brought him, even to the vet, he doesn't like the vet, which so many dogs don't, but they would just see him and I had a vet tell me without even seeing him just in the waiting room, like, I think you should put him down. I think that he should be euthanized. He's not safe. And he hadn't done anything except barked in the vet office. And so I started to notice that as a trend more and more. And that's why kind of going back to when I was in this really dark space, I felt such a strong sense of responsibility and commitment to Rondo also, because I had heard from vets, you know, that I should put him down. And I knew that people didn't think highly of him without even getting to know him that I felt like if he didn't have me, something really terrible could happen. Wow. What a story. And I know that so many of the dogs that are in shelters are perceived that way. Roddies, pit bulls, mm -hmm. darker dogs, especially black dogs are the hardest to get adopted. Mm -hmm. And it's true. Once you get to know them on a one-on-one -on -one basis, so yes. many of them are sweeter than pie, but it's really mm -hmm. this kind of blanket mm -hmm. judgment that keeps a certain dog in the shelter. 
So how does that then reflect back onto your own life? Yeah. So um, in so many ways, I think that what I what I started to notice is in seeing Rondo judged that way, I started to recognize like, wow, this is sort of sort of how I feel personally. Uh, if somebody hears that I have depression or I wanted to open up more about like mental health and my struggles in general. And some people were open to it, but others I could just see were either very shut down or almost like um, I wouldn't hear from them anymore if they were friends. Like they almost didn't know what to say. And I just felt very judged in a very similar way to how I felt Rondo was being judged. And so I was seeing like my passion for what he was going through was really kind of mirrored in what, what was happening in my own life. And also seeing that even like my family members or, or friends who were, who I thought were close friends, like would question, you know, are you sure that you can handle Rondo? Are you sure that's responsible? Are you sure you want him? And it, that to me gave me this message of like, well, what if like he, yes, he has, I mean, he's, he is a lot of work. He's something that I have to be careful of for his safety and everybody else's. I mean, I'm not going to let him go run out with a bunch of dogs and something could happen. So there is a sense of responsibility in that. But the message that I was getting with that is these people knew how much I cared for Rondo, how important he was in my life, how great of a dog he was, you know, most of the time. And for them to just say, like, are you sure you want to deal with that? Because he has, you know, these little, these other areas of his, of his behavior that aren't ideal. It made me feel as though like I needed to keep quiet about the parts of me that I felt were imperfect. Like, well, what if I show you like a part of me that needs a little bit extra attention? And what if I sometime become difficult? Will you abandon me as well? Will you feel like you can't be there for me? And so I sense that with these people who I thought I was very close to questioning me having Rondo, I wondered like, well, what about when I'm in a really rough space in my life and I need extra support? Are you going to tell me like, you can't be there for me either? And I noticed that with a lot of people who felt abandoned and, and that's why the more I talked about it and the more I talked to other people who were struggling with their mental health, like they try to keep it inside. They're afraid to talk about it because one stigma and two, they're afraid that they'll be left alone. Or once people know that about them, they'll look at them differently. And that was definitely something I was seeing in Rondo's case. So I could really empathize with that. That's beautiful. So Courtney, tell me a little bit about your profession. Yeah. So I'm a naturopathic doctor, which is basically I use um, holistic modalities to heal the body. Um, and I focus um, mainly on mental health, anxiety disorders in particular. And what's really interesting is what I've been seeing in practice is a lot of people who have anxiety, which I'm naturally drawn to because of my own my own story and my own journey with anxiety and depression. Um, but seeing a lot of people, I get a lot of animal lovers. I don't know if it's just like an energetic thing where people with anxiety and depression tend to be animal lovers, but a lot of them, um, will come in and we really relate to our animals and connect in that level. And what I started seeing was that when so many people get so much joy from there, particularly dogs, but, but any animal they have in general, and a lot of times when an animal wasn't doing well or an animal was sick, my patients would also be very anxious, like their anxiety would spike, they'd get um, more ill, they'd have panic and that kind of thing. And so sometimes the easiest way I found to kind of get my patient back into a stable place was to help their animal. And so I've more recently begun also treating their pets, their dogs with the remedies, the holistic remedies also. And as they heal, the patients heal. So it's really just this connected like this, the sense of connection between them where when one isn't doing well, the other isn't either. And so um, it's been really beautiful to see that, you know, you can heal one and the other heals kind of within that also. 
What kind of holistic? Do you work with herbs? I do. So I work with um, mainly herbs, so botanical medicine and homeopathy. So homeopathy is its own system of medicine that basically just stimulates the, the body to heal itself. And that's what I use mainly with animals because it's so safe. It doesn't interact. Um, it's like it's not species specific. And so it's really something easy. We just take symptoms. If, if I know what symptoms the animal is having, we can find a homeopathic remedy to bring it back into balance. And so those are the two main modalities that I use. That's amazing. And I believe that the whole world is really growing that way. Mm -hmm. More and more pet owners, caretakers yes. are really looking to holistic approaches to take care of their pets now. Yes. Because modern medicine, Western medicine for humans, it's the same thing. We're sort of an overdrugged culture. Mm -hmm. And while that's so helpful on certain levels, there are a lot of people that are not helped by that. And to be able to approach it from a holistic point of view, from a holistic side, healing within, teaching the body to heal itself. It's a whole new world of old practices. It's super cool. I love it. Acupuncture is another great one. I don't do that. In, I'm not licensed in Virginia um, for that, but I've seen it work really well on, on animals um, also. And that's been something that's, that's helped Rondo to calm down in the moment. Oh, that's really cool. So do you find this with people that you're treating, the ones with anxiety and depression? I found that a lot of people who are pet owners are also empaths. And mm -hmm. I don't know if there's a relationship between that and anxiety and depression? From what I've seen, I would say yes. You know, I don't know. I don't have research on it. I haven't done studies, you know, but what I've seen, yes, that is, um, that's definitely the case. And that goes back, I think, to like that connection piece of their reading each other's feelings and emotions and animals in, of course, you know, feel like we talked about earlier, feel our emotions and know our emotions, know what we're going through. And I think that um, a lot of the people which which I see in anxiety in particular of they do take on so many other people's emotions and feel so deeply both their own emotions and everybody else's around them that I think that's what causes them to be anxious. Like we can only take on so much at a time. And, um, I think that people have a hard time sometimes discerning, like what are their feelings? What are their emotions and what is like people around them in the outside world. And so really kind of working with those boundaries of, of like, what is, what's me, what are my emotions and what is outside of me. And with animals, I think that it's like, that can help really bridge those two, because I feel like animals, at least for me, and what I've seen with a lot of my patients, like they ground us, they center us, they help us to really live in the present moment where anxiety is a disorder really of living in the, in the future and depression is a lot of in the past, right? So we're living just in the past or future and not very much in the present. But when we're really in touch and in tune with our animals, it's all in the present, like everything they're they're living present in the present moment. And so when we're truly connected to them and feeling their emotions and their feelings and like vice versa, we're in the moment. And that's just, that's really healing in and of itself. Absolutely. I agree with you. I teach mm -hmm. yoga and a lot of that is bringing people into their bodies back into the awareness of their breath. And yes, animals are living in the present all the time. And we humans spend so much of our time reworking the past, trying to figure out the future. And it keeps us from being just right here, right now, mm -hmm. which is really all we have. And dogs can really bring us into this moment. Yes. Yeah. On the present moment, just with that, like if I'm having a rough day or it's been like a difficult day and Rhonda has been home as soon as I walk through the door, even I mean, before I'm through the door, right. He's there, he's waiting and he is just as happy as ever. It's like, it doesn't matter. He doesn't know what, how my day went. It's just like, okay, whatever happened, leave that. Like we're, we're back together now. Like now we're having fun. Now we're, you know, now we're connecting. And it is, it's just such a great reminder of like, 
oh yeah, I can let that go. It's a new moment now where, you know, I'm back home. I can start, we can start fresh. We can start right now. And so that's been really helpful just for me to be able to see in my life of like how happy and just excited he is every time he sees me, whether it's literally two minutes, you know, or two hours, it's the same thing of great, you're back. Let's have fun. Let's, you know, let's connect. Um, And so it doesn't matter really um, what's happened before that or what's going to happen. It's like, okay, yes, we can, we can have a good time right now in this moment. They are so healing. And I know for me, I have three dogs. And one of the first things that I hear in the morning is my dog's tails wagging. And it's just so beautiful and pure. And it brings me right back into this idea of being so grateful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You volunteer with the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that was, so um, NAMI or the National Alliance on Mental Illness is, is an international really, but they have a lot of they're a grassroots organization that's really dedicated toward increasing awareness on mental illness and helping to support, advocate, and educate for those who are struggling um, with mental illness. And when I um, wanted to really start sharing more of my story as part of my healing process of feeling like it's okay for me to talk about what I've been going through. I don't have to hide it. I don't have to keep it all inside. Um, I came across NAMI and they were looking for volunteers who were willing to share their story. And so I said, okay, I'll give this a shot. And um, so now I, I volunteer um, as a speaker with them, talk to people who are either in psychiatric hospitals who are going through their own sort of like low point in their mental health journey. And, or I talk to schools and law officials to try to teach about just, you know, reducing stigma on mental illness that it can affect and it does affect anybody that um, we are more than just a mental illness. Like, yes, people who are struggling, that might be a part of who they are. That might be something they're working through, but it's not the whole of who they are. And I really... Rondo's story just is, is so helpful for me in, in part of my story and speaking on that because it's, again, from what we had talked about of the stigma um, that he's experienced, it's a different way for people to see that. Like seeing it from like a dog's perspective or seeing it from something else besides human, I, like they can make that connection, especially children or high schools I've spoken to. Like they really get it when you say like, you know, asking them like, would you be more afraid of, you know, a big black dog or a small white dog? And they don't, almost all of them are a big black dog is who they're more afraid of. And it's like that stigma, right? That you knew, you know, nothing about them. In my experience, little dogs are the ones you got to be careful of the the nippers. Um, So it's just, it's a great teaching point of, you know, just these preconceived notions and these um, judgments that, that happen. And also from what I've seen, with Rondo is yes, like he does have this streak in him, which I have to, I have to be careful of. I have to watch out. Like I'm not going to let him run around a new baby, um, you know, because he, it's potential, there could be something that's harmful there. So I have to be careful of that. However, that's one part of who he is. And there's a whole lot more of who he is. And when he's in the right environment and when he's getting the right support, he is a very happy, loving, caring dog. And so using him as the example of it's the same with people just because people are depressed at sometimes doesn't mean that they're not also caring people doesn't mean they still don't want to be around you a lot of times if someone has social anxiety and they say no to the first three times you ask them out it doesn't mean that um they don't want to be involved and they don't want to be asked to hang out with you again like that's just one part of who they are and so really being able to shed light on the idea of like, it's like one piece of the puzzle, but it's not all of the puzzle. And Rondo's story and my experience with him has been really helpful for me to to share that. That's amazing. Well, also speaking about it again is very healing for you, for yourself, and then helping kids, teenagers to understand the concept of stigma. It's super cool and helpful. 
and then speaking with lawyers and the people who may have these preconceived notions without even realizing it. Yes. Yes. Anybody, it doesn't matter your you know, gender, your race, your socioeconomic status, your occupation, anybody can and, and does, you know, struggle with this. And so I feel as though I'm not, I guess, if we are looking at it from a standpoint of stigma, how I have always learned of mental health, even when I was going through medical school, right, there was stigma attached to that where people were sort of like, oh, we don't want to deal with them. They're a lot of work or they don't follow up. Or if we think of like they're homeless, they're dangerous, they're scary. So there's just a lot of when we think of mental health or I think of mental health still, like those are the things that come to mind. And that's what first came to mind. And so I felt like, oh, I have to be quiet about this because if I open up about my story, people will start to judge me. And where I really started to realize, and NAMI has been helpful in being able to do that, is I feel like it's my responsibility really to be able to speak up about this because I don't fit that typical you know, stereotype of someone with mental illness. And so if I can share my story and explain that, that helps to reduce stigma, right? That lets people know, oh, there are other people who are going through this. It's not just you know, they're not just scary. They're not just dangerous. And it's very similar to what I was seeing, you know, with Rondo. And like we talked about in general, like bigger dogs, black dogs, just this idea of, well, it's a black dog. It must be mean. It's like, no, that's not the case. I mean, some might be, you know, just like some white ones might be, but it doesn't mean that we have to judge them before we really know the whole story. How do you think dogs in general impact people's mental health? Oh gosh, (laughs) they're just the best. I I just love them. They have such a positive positive effect on self-esteem, on people's ability to um, be social, on people's ability to feel safe and connected, um, feeling less lonely. They increase motivation. They really give people, I know for me specifically this, like a sense of purpose. I mean, just 10 out of 10 all around. Um, So beneficial. Um, There's actually a study that I saw, I think it was in the Journal of Evidence-Informed Social Work, but it was on PTSD in particular and dogs and like emotional support dogs and 82% within the first month had a a significant reduction in their symptoms of PTSD, um, which is huge. 82% is a lot in a month. Um, And so that really to me like that, that speaks to how healing um, dogs can be. They just save your life. They give you life. Life is just so much different. They teach me more about myself and about life than I ever would have known if a dog wasn't in my life. Um, I just think that they give such a different, it's like you start to look through, look through a different pair of lenses really at the world when a dog is there. So how can we find you, Courtney? I know you have a really wonderful Instagram feed. Yes. Yeah, so on Instagram, um, it is at Dr. Dr. Underscore Courtney underscore Paree, P-A-R-E. And yeah, that's where I'm most active is on Instagram. And my website is www.nhsvirginia.com. So it's Natural Health Solutions Virginia, but it's nhsvirginia.com. Great. And that really covers all of the work that you do with mental health, which is amazing. Courtney, thank you so much for spending time with me today on Dog Save the People. You're welcome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's been wonderful speaking with you. Um, I'm just, I'm really, really grateful for the opportunity. So thank you. I was very struck by Courtney's personality and how it had changed really through the relationship she had with her dog, with Rondo. She was able to find inspiration and brightness through Rondo and realize that she needed to be there for him. And I think from the outside looking in, somebody would look at Rondo and be intimidated by him and label him as dangerous or difficult. 
And yet behind closed doors, he and Courtney had this beautiful, beautiful relationship that's healing and loving and works for them. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is a production of As It Should Be, a content studio, and it's made with the support of our producer and editor, Jack Summer. Special thanks to our composer and neighbor, Daniel Lampert, for creating the music for the show. I hope you enjoyed the episode. You can subscribe to Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this show, please leave a review or rating. New episodes come out every Tuesday, so see you next week for another episode from Dog Save the People. You can also check out the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, at johnbartlettny.com. Enjoy a walk with your dog and make it a great day for both of you.